When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. What is it you wanted me to reconcile myself to? I was born here almost 60 years ago. I'm not going to live another 60 years. You always told me it takes time. It has taken my father's time, my mother's time, my uncle's time, my brother's and my sister's time, my nieces and my nephew's time. How much time do you want for your progress? I'm tired of like having to wake up every day and feeling like I have to fight just for my right to exist, just to breathe. I feel like I have a right to live. I'm at a point where, you know, my my core beliefs have been shaken to where I, I am barely holding on. I'm holding on by a thread right now. I'm super confused about how the world can love the product that we can create, yet hate us so much. My value is that of heaven sent, right? It's God given. This one hurts more because even in this season, we're still despised and hated, and I don't understand that. When I, I think about how I'm feeling, um, as a black man in America right now, I just, I, all my hope is gone. I'm keeping it 100, like I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. What I want is for them to be comfortable with who I am. I think that's where, that's what the problem is. It's not us. 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 It's not Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. This is when Art normally says, welcome back, but he's not here today. We are bringing you a special episode of Wild Black. And it's really all about how black men are feeling right now in the wake of these new tragedies that have come to light. Mr. Ahmad Avery was lynched in February. Uh, it took 74 days of videotape and national outcry for that arrest. Uh, Mr. Sean Reed was murdered on Facebook Live, and we got to hear the police officers involved murder about the fact that his casket would have to be closed service. If you think back a little bit further, Mr. Marquise McLaughlin was murdered on tape when all he did was create space between his family and an aggressive man outside of a convenience store. That arrest took 25 days. So we see a pattern that's emerged here. And with all these patterns, black America has to remain together. We have to remain calm. We have to remain active. We have to do our days as if nothing's bothering us. And it creates some feelings. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. I'm concerned. I'm tired. But more than anything, I'm fed up. And every day I'm expected to show up, show up and act, show up and behave, show up and be normal when inside my emotions are pulling me in 800 directions. I have to do this 
while I watch Black America struggle with the same feelings that I'm dealing with. I have to do this with the modifier American attached to my name when I don't feel welcome in America every day. I struggle with America being my home sometimes, just being honest. It's the only home I've ever known, yet it doesn't feel warm all the time. It damn sure doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel mine. And even though my bloodline and yours literally built it, I don't always feel like I belong here. Every day I struggle with the fact that I've lost count of the names of the black men and women who've been killed by police or police-related personnel. I struggle with the fact that I honestly don't know if I can't remember the names or I'm protecting myself inside from the reality that we're being hunted and murdered and no one in power seems to care enough to change it. I say all of that to open this episode because today I don't have experts because nothing qualifies you to handle life in this country as a black man. We all just kind of wake up and get to work. We're forced to learn this job every day with on-the-job training. There's no graduation, and it's starting to feel like if there was, I don't know how many of us would be alive to walk across the stage. But what I have for you today is a panel of men all close to me, all black men that I know, respect, look up to, seek counsel from, talk to about different things. These are black men that are open to telling you how we really feel today. Now, everyone won't agree with everything discussed, and that's okay. It's actually encouraged because we all don't agree on everything anyway. But what's important is that we agree on the goal here. So with that, I want to introduce who you're talking to today and who you're hearing from today. But remember, today is not about where they went to school. It's not about what they do professionally. It's not about what book they wrote. It's not about how they feel Normally, it's about how they feel right now dealing with the emotions that are swirling inside of black America every day. And today is even more special because the questions that I'm asking come from our bigger supporters. Today's questions all come from black women who simply care about and are concerned for the health and safety of black men. So on today's episode of Wild Black, I want to introduce Aaron, Dan, Latavio, and Ronell. Now, I'm not going to turn the mic over to each one of them to tell you much more about themselves because we'll be here all night. These brothers are accomplished. They do all type of stuff. But what is important is not what they do, but how they feel. So our dope quotes are going to be intact today. We are not doing wild black shit. I'm going to kick this episode off with my dope quote. Um, every brother here will have their own quote that they will share. But mine is the foundation for Wild Black. You've heard it before. And for me, it's never been more relevant. My quote is by James Baldwin, and it goes as such. To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. I chose that one not just because it's the basis for the entire podcast of Wild Black, but because it is truly how I feel right now. I'm conscious to what's going on. I'm educated. I'm smart. And I cannot help but to be rageful. I cannot help but to be angry. And I need some place to put that anger. So with that, I want to ask Mr. Dottavio to share his dope quote. And we'll have a very brief conversation about that. Brothers, all yours. Thank you, brother. Um, my quote is actually a little bit different. Back in August of 2015, um, Karen Omeo, amazing dope black woman creative, um, led a team to launch a cover for Ebony. Um, this cover had no pictures, no visuals, 
know, people like most magazine covers do. Instead, it just had these words, America loves black people. What people was crossed out and replaced with culture. Mm. And so the idea is that America loves black culture, but not black people. Um, that quote capitalizes how I feel in this moment. Yeah, I can feel that completely. You see us in every aspect of American culture, but you don't always see us in American culture. We fuel it. Brothers, any thoughts on Dottavio's quote? Can I build to that? Absolutely. Just to build, I, I think it's 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 more than that too. I mean, it's it's everything you hear my brother saying and more. It's it's the fact that uh, white America and honestly the rest of America, they love our culture. They appropriate it, right? They use it every day in their everyday life. They will even go so far as when they find something they like to 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 you know outwardly steal it, take it as their own, rock it, wear it, you know, sing it, uh, depending on you know what it is. But then in a situation like this or, this, you know, the several, you know, tragedies that have happened where black people have been murdered, um, you don't hear anything from them. They're silent. You know, yeah. um, you don't see them respond with the same sort of engagement that they do when they have the time to appropriate our culture. So I, I just think, I, you know, enough is enough. I, I feel you on that. Yeah. I feel you on that. Aaron, you got any thoughts, man? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this one, this one is like this is just one hundred. I mean, you see it, you know, at, at every music award where you know they 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 praise like uh, you know our rappers, right? But then if they were to see those very same people walking in the neighborhood, uh, you know, they they would clench their purses. But um, you know, I, I think one thing that really bothered me uh, from a couple years ago was when I forget the Fox News anchor who. Um, the woman who told uh, LeBron to, to shut up and dribble, right. you know, mm -hmm. like that, that really rubbed me the wrong way. You know, when you think about like how much like athletes have, um, you know, they, they want us to sort of like stay in that realm. Right. But I mean, we have so much more to contribute. Uh, athletes have so much more to contribute uh, because of their platform. And, you know, to me, like Muhammad Ali, the greatest to ever do it. And if you think otherwise, that's a whole different, you know, conversation that we can have. But I'll fight you over that. But Muhammad <laughs> Ali, Muhammad Ali's, um, his greatest accomplishment weren't like how many people he knocked down, but how many people he woke up. You know what I mean? So like once he took the stand against like, going, no, I'm not going to Vietnam to, to uh, you know, to, to shoot and kill people who look like me when I can't even get love from you in my own country. Right. right. And so once he, once he said that, like people started to, to wake up. Uh, and so like, he just like empowered a generation, um, you know, to where, yeah, they want Muhammad Ali to keep knocking out other brothers, you know, but they don't want him to, to do anything else you know, more than that. So they love the culture. They love the stuff that, that we bring for entertainment value. But uh, when we try to step outside of our, you know, out, out of the ring, uh, in that situation, off the court or off the field, uh, you know, they don't like that anymore. So yeah. 100%, Tavio, agree with you, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, man. And 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 I, for me, it's like, I don't understand how you can love the product without loving the creator, right? Preach. And it's confusing, right? How do you explain to young Black men coming up, 
how people, not just in the U.S., but globally, our culture is the culture that trades at the highest levels, right? We are global culture. And globally, right, this says, you know, America doesn't love black people. But world, across the world, people in China right now. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. How black folks being um, um, ostracized and kicked out of their hotels and kicked out of their places. So I'm super confused about how the world can love the product that we can create, yet hate us so much. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting you all brought up a, a lot of the same kind of themes about the way we've been treated both here and globally. So that's going to lead me into my very first question, right? So... How are you all processing what's happening and how are you doing mentally? Yeah, Um, it's weird, right? So I'm not the type to prepare, but I had a conversation with one of my boys just to kind of let my thoughts kind of creep out. And his first response was, I'm numb. And my response is, I'm not numb. Like this one hurts and this one is heartbreaking. Um, Both of these cases are specifically heartbreaking. So I started trying to figure out why am I not numb? Because I think a lot of people are growing numb because we've all seen this play out. We're not numb to the murder of black bodies, but we're numb to the fact that we know that black men get murdered and then nothing happens, right? And so you kind of give up on the process. So then why is this one so hard for me? And I think the reality for me is that I can't believe this is happening during COVID season. Like in a time when everybody is supposed to stay in the house, in a time when everybody is supposed to shelter at home and be safe, the only reason we're allowed outside is to run to the grocery store and take a jog and be healthy. I don't quite understand how even in this season, our lives are worth nothing. Even in this season, white men will come hunt us. Even in this season, police officers will shoot us and laugh. And just, This one hurts more yeah. because even in this season, we're still despised and hated. And I don't understand that. Yeah, a time when we are supposed to be banding together to survive this and to thrive through it and to figure out what the exactly. new normal is. We are still being targeted. We can't get we can't get along when we can't even go outside. It's, exactly, it's a, it's a tough feeling. Right now, brother, how are you processing this, man? You know, that's a good question. One of the things that came to mind when I, you know, saw the news this week and been hearing about, you know, everything that's been happening, and for me, the processing of it is, I love the word numb, but I think I'm just, I think I'm just emotionless now. Right when I see that emotionless, like I'm drained. Uh, thinking through all what we've seen over the last three to four or five years where you see this happening day after day, um, it just makes you just cringe and you're thinking to yourself like, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm frustrated because, you know, I'm having to tell my kids about what they have to be careful of. Yeah, and I have mixed race kids, but I still, they will always be seen as black, right? And so having to tell them what's going on in the world around us and why I'm concerned for them and why I want them to, you know, act respectfully. And, and so it sounds weird, but I feel like I'm drained of my emotions. Yeah. I feel like I've been tapped out. Yeah. And I can't, I can't let, you know, I, <laughs> the, the result of that is I'm mad, I'm frustrated, and I'm just completely upset. Yet I want to make sure that my kids know that there's an, there's an appropriate way to do this. And how do we do this? How do we let our voices be heard so that they're not, that they don't continue to be diminished? Yeah. It's, um, when you bring the children into it, man, it just, 
it adds a level of complexity that I really struggle with. And I, I don't want to go too, too far down this path yet because I want to get uh, both Ronnell and Aaron's response. But the moment you bring children into it, it puts me in a mindset of how do we teach our children to be fearless when we're fearful, right? And that's something that I find myself dealing with all the time because I want to raise two children who are proud of who they are. They're proud of what they look like. They are not scared to take on the world in any capacity. And it is really hard to do that when at the same time, I'm scared to let them leave my house. Personal story for me, every day when I leave work, I leave at three o'clock as opposed to five or six like we normally would. And I leave at three because I live in what to most people is considered a nice, safe neighborhood. Um, I live in a suburb of Atlanta on the north side. It's high income, great schools. Um, it's diverse. But my neighborhood, I think I'm one of two black folks in it. But I leave my job every day at 3 o'clock so I can make it to my children's bus stops by 3.45 so I can pick my daughter up and then wait for my son so that I can drive them home because it bothers me to my core to allow them to walk down this main street and through my neighborhood because I am fearful that the police are going to pull them over. That's something that I deal with every day. I talk specifically about my son. He's 14 years old, but at the same time, he's six foot two, 227 pounds. And from the back, he looks like a grown man. And all I can think about is Tamir Rice looked like a kid and they still murdered him in like three mm -hmm. seconds. So what chance does my six foot two, 200 plus young, black, intelligent, kind son really have? If I'm not there to deflect those bullets when they come, uh, I know man, that I know that side, I, brother. I, uh, oh my goodness! I, I mean, Rose, I just feel so much right now. I keep cycling through what I'm gonna just kind of term as a range of emotions of being angry, tired, disturbed, distraught, emotionally troubled, right? And even mentally and just spiritually exhausted. And I just feel like somehow even all of that just doesn't adequately describe and capture how frustrated I feel. Um, I'm just beyond perplexed and my whole soul uh, just, you know, feels the total sum of that right now. Um, and I think, you know, as, as, as my brothers, have, as a, you all have stated, um, you know, I think I'm at this place where I just really, I grow increasingly wary of my of my ability to live and exist in this country. Um, I've served this country. I'm a United States Marine. Um, I have long sort of stood up for or um, sort of loved the fact that America is this sort of melting pot of different you know, ethnicities and people and people with different backgrounds and, you know, have held on to the hope that we can all coexist peacefully together and have wanted to be a part of the, you know, a change agent to believe that, you know, while the past has been dark and the past has, you know, been hard, there's a way forward and we just need to keep being the change we seek and responding sort of in this, you know, you know, resilient way. And I, 
you know, I'm at a point where, you know, my, my core beliefs have been shaken to where I, I am barely holding on. I'm holding on by a thread right now. Okay. Yeah. And I just, I'm scared. And I just, I want to say I can take action so that this doesn't ever happen again. Right. Ahmad Arbery, Tamir Rice, or, you know, Philando Castile, no one else should be killed ever again. And I want to be able to say that, but I can't say that. And that's sad. And that scares me. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's a series of emotions that I assume the majority of black men in America are dealing with. And, and that's why episodes like this are so important because we have now thousands of listeners. And one thing that I want them to walk away from this episode with, it is okay to feel the way you feel, right? No one can tell you how you should feel and how you should react to the things that we have to see, consume, and live with every single day. That doesn't mean you don't need to get help because I, th- I think a lot of us probably should be getting help. I'm a firm believer in being proactive in our mental health, in our mental care. And for me, this is a wake-up call that we, we all need to be more active in that space. I won't go there right now. But Aaron, how are you doing, brother? What's going on with you? I remember when um, something like this happened uh, when I was working for uh, one of the companies in Silicon Valley. And we had a, uh, a black employee resource group discussion uh, about it to kind of express our feelings, get them out there. And I remember specifically at that time, um, like we had, you know, we had our, our, our white, uh, allies in the room. And, uh, I remember at that time, um, what I was looking for was empathy, right? Like I, I wanted them to put themselves in, in, in our shoes and, you know, and, you know, like cry with us. Right? right. Um, I didn't see a lot of that, but you know, I, that's what I was looking for. Then unfortunately, of course, this happened again. Uh, I was working at a different, um, Silicon Valley company. And we had another uh, black employee resource group uh, plus allies. And I remember at that time I was looking for understanding. So like I was looking for, you know, not more emotional things, but like more something like, look, like, do you see that this is wrong? Like, can you guys see past the 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 dehumanization of what Fox News or somebody might be trying to show uh, and see that this is wrong? Right. Like, can you just see that? Um, today, uh, I, I wrote a note, um, to my team, uh, that I managed here and there was, there was no seeking empathy. <laughs> there was, there was no, you know, hoping for understanding. Um, to be honest, like there was just rage. Yeah. There was, you know, it was, it was profanity lace and, you know, that's not me. Um, but I felt like I needed to be authentic because otherwise I'd just be, um, you know, fooling myself and, you know, kind of like not being real with them. Um, and so, you know, at the end of it, I just signed off. I was like, you know, I'm tired. I'm just tired. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm really just exhausted. Uh, I'm tired of like having to wake up every day and feeling like I have to fight just for my right to exist, just to breathe. You know what I mean? It's like that could be taken from me at any moment. Um, and so, you know, I feel like I've gone through this path of like, you know, the 1964, uh, you know, uh, Martin, 
uh, giving a speech, you know, I have a dream speech or 60, 64. And then, you know, to, to 1968, uh, mountains, you know, I've been to the mountaintop Mount Martin where, you know, he was a lot more angry and, you know, he had, you know, he had sort of like gone through this, uh, this, you know, transition himself right. where he felt like, you know, uh, maybe the peaceful path wasn't working as well. Uh, and so, you know, he, he needed to scream a little bit louder. And so, the Martin uh, you know, felt he to, might've led his people into a burning house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And I, you know, and I'm tired of that, man. I'm tired of it. Like, I, I don't know what, like we, we marched a, a lot, you know, we ran 2.23 miles, you know, today, you know, like, you know, what are we going to do the next time, uh, you know, somebody becomes a hashtag, you know, like, I don't want this to be a social media trend. Like I, you know, I, I want this to stop. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I don't want any more hashtags. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that just, it, it has me, it just has me exhausted, man. Exhausted. Yeah. I was just going to say, Aaron, I, I feel completely the same. I think, um, I feel stuck. So as a leader and what I say in business all the time is like, look, there's a lot of hard problems and a lot of hard challenges and I shy away from none of them as long as I can see line of sight on how to get to the win. And this mm -hmm. is one of those problems where I have zero line of sight on exactly. how to get to the win. And that is so frustrating for me. Um, so anyway, I just want to say, like, I, I feel your sentiment to my core. Yeah. Yep. It's a tough place to be. It's a, when you are, when you're the type of person who is used to building your way to the answer, it's a hard place to be That's right. when neither can you build your way to the answer or even see an answer. That's yep. really, really tough. But while we're talking about the past. Wait, can I, can I just say one, one more thing to please, that? Please. What you just said, I think like building on what you and Dottavio just said, and then like, um, like linking that back to, I think what we're not, what Ronell was just saying about his kid, like, you know, Ronell is, you know, the king of his household, right? His, his kids look up to him to have all the answers. And so a situation like this, where Ronell does not have the answer, it's like, Hey dad, this won't happen to me. Right. Yeah. And you know, they're expecting, they're literally expecting. Cause I remember when I, I don't have kids yet, but well, I remember my dad was Superman to me. Like he knew everything. You know what I mean? Like, like did nothing could happen to me. I could walk out in the middle of the street with a bus coming and my dad was going to save me even if he was downtown. Yeah. But for, for, you know, for, for Ronell to have to look his kid in the eye or, or, or you to have to look yours in the eye and say, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to do the best I can, but I don't know. Like that's got to be a tough position, you yeah. know? So there's a framework that, you know, I use all the time at work. I've been using it with my, um, the folks that I work with all the time right now in this COVID season, which is CIA, control, influence, um, and essentially accept and let go, right? And so the, the idea is really simple. You figure out what you can control, your behaviors, your moods, your attitude, and you focus on those. You figure out what you can influence, other people's behaviors, da da da, da and you focus on those. But the stuff that you can't control or influence, you just have to accept. And the thing is with this, I don't control it. I don't feel like I can influence it, but I also refuse to accept it. Mm. And so then it's like this like an, um, amazing kind of like paradox or conundrum um, because I don't want to just accept this. I want to figure out how to make a change. Yeah. Amen to that. I, I guess how I feel with that is I was thinking about like our ancestors, right? Those before us, even recently of like, did they ever have to feel, you know, this? And, you know, we all know that they did. And I think I, I just, 
you know, while our lives have been better, like I'm so thankful for the success I've been able to achieve, what I have in life, what I've been able to do. I, I, I guess I, I finally feel like I, I get it. Like in terms of the frustration, I'm thinking about 1950 and what our, you know, our ancestors in the civil rights movement had to feel, you know, what they had to feel like when, you know, they were being, you know, beaten, maimed, killed, left and right, different situations, marching, trying to just, again, fight for the right to just be able to exist. And while to a degree we've, we've had some successes and again, our lives um, have improved in some ways, it just feels like that, that this is just reductive, that we haven't moved on, that somehow it's almost like a false sense of you know security or a false sense of that the world has changed. I, I just feel so naive right now, um, you know, and I, I think that I, again, I, I think I've mentioned it, like I'm, I'm just like, I'm questioning everything that I've believed about what the future will look like as a black man, yeah. as for my family, as, as you all have mentioned. Yeah. So coming from that point, right, about 1950 versus today, and, and yeah, we're, we're in a better place in, in some aspects and in others. I don't think we've made that much progress. But the question I want to ask is, do you feel comfortable as a black man in America today? And Ronell, I'd love to start with you, brother. Man, that's a, that's a solid question. And, you know, when I think about it, uh, you, some of you guys know me, right? And I grew up in Europe. And so when I came to America, you know, I think of Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall when I think of that. But, you know, I, when I came to America in 1996 for the second time, um, I just remember my first experience of moving to America when I first moved from Germany. So the second time I moved from England, the first time I remember moving, I remember having this experience when I went out to the mailbox to get the mail for my family. And when I got to the mailbox, I saw this sticker on it and it had these three letters on it. And I was like, huh, why would somebody put a sticker on my mailbox? I ran back into my house, give the mail to my parents. And I said, mom, there's a sticker on our mailbox with three letters on it, KKK. Mm. And I just remember my mom and seeing the panic on her face and seeing her worry and frustration, right? And then we, two years later, we leave the country. We're in England. And England and Germany have their own challenges. And the reason I bring all this up is I have not felt more unsafe in my life than anywhere than living in America. Even living in Germany, where I grew up in a small town of about 250, we were the only black family there. And we all know what happened in Germany with Hitler yeah. and what he was trying to do. But these people, when I go back, I was there last summer. They love me. They welcome me in, invite me to their parties and want me to stay up until all hours of the night. But when I come to it, when I've been, since I've been back in America, I feel like I have to always check my shoulder. Yeah. I feel like I have to act in a certain way. And if I don't act in a certain way, then yep, there he is, right? There's that black guy again. There he is doing what we know he will do. Yeah. And that code switching, we all know it. We all talk about it. And I, I, I don't feel like I can be, be myself, right? We hear a lot of that too in business. Like, hey, bring your full self to work. But why can't I bring my full self to my community? Why can't I bring my full self uh, to, to church? Why can't I bring my full, you know, where, where am I allowed to be my full self? Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles 
and a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah. I often wonder when they tell me to bring my full self, do you say it because it sounds good or do you truly mean it? Because I don't, I don't trust it when you tell me that. I feel like the moment I do, yeah. I'm in HR's office because I've made someone yeah. uncomfortable. Yep. It's a buzzword, man. That's yeah. a buzzword. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dan, what, what are you feeling, man? How, how comfortable are you as a black man in America today? I mean, not at all. And, you know, <laughs> you talking about, Ronell, I love what you said. You know, don't, don't be too authentic, though. Right. Because the minute you start being too authentic, just like you said, you'll end up in, in HR's office. Um, I'm just I, I don't you know, I'm without words right now. Like, I, I just I think that when I, I think about how I'm feeling um, as a black man in America right now, I just I, all my hope is gone. You know, I mean, I know it will be restored. I'm a man of faith. I believe in God. Go and um, I hold on to my faith. But um, I'm at a moment right now where I'm just, I, I, I feel like I really need to, to, you know, go into prayer and really get some answers. Because I, everything that, I, like I said, I just have believed about life and just where we were and, and where we are and where we were headed. It just, I just don't believe it anymore. I think that this country, and I also think that this country has always had these issues. Um, I think the ug- the ugly underbelly of America, it's always been, you know, it's always been there. We just have ignored it, um, have dealt with it. Uh, but I- I'm tired of it, you know. But again, what do we do? How, it's 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 really becomes a, about for me. What are the solutions as a community that we, you know, what are the things that we can do to protect ourselves to stay safe? I mean. I believe that, yes, there will be those who will be allies and who you can get along with in this nation and who will support the cause, support the cause that Black Lives Matter, that we do deserve the same rights and, and you know, should be able to live just as they do. But I believe that there will always be people, you know, there will always be the Big Michaels out there. You know, there will always be those who want to, you know, who don't believe we have the right to exist. Right. Um, and, you know, what do I tell? I don't have kids yet either, but what do I tell my kids? Or what do I tell my nephew, yeah. you know, who's seven and eight? And, you know, do I do I instill the same naiveness that, you know, our naivete that I had growing up as a kid? Or, do, you know, do I just have a real conversation with him around, <clears throat> you know, be careful because, you you know, these people, some of them cannot be trusted. Yeah, it turns into do you take their childhood and allow them to understand the truth or do you right. give them the space to be a kid, have fun, and not have to worry about those stresses? Exactly right. Because I, 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 I want them to believe that the world can be a better place, right? I do want them to think that the future will be brighter. But what am I lying to, you know, my nieces and nephews? Yeah. I think partially I would be. Yeah, it, it feels like that. Aaron, brother, what? What are your thoughts on that? I just want to jump in real quick before Aaron responds. Hope, give me a second here, Aaron. Yeah. But I love what I love what Dan said, man. You know, in terms of, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a Christian. I'm a God fearing man, and and I believe, you know, that we all have value, right? You know, in my mind, I think that's an important thing, and I think that's what gives me power every day, um, to kind of continue to drive forward. Because to what one of the things that Dan said that stood out to me was, what what how do we solve this? What's the solution? And, and when he said that, it made me think, well, 
and I love everybody. I love, I try to love everybody around me and try to treat them with respect and with kindness that I feel that I would want to see, to receive and what I feel I should be giving to them. But it can't just be a one-sided venture, right? It can't just be a one-sided um, solution-oriented approach, if you will, since we're all in business and we kind of know how that goes. Um, it has to be people coming together. And that's my worry, you know, and I have that hope deep down. And I just keep hoping that we can latch arms and try to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. Agree, man. And, you know, I, I, the question was about like, you know, being, um, comfortable. uncomfortable yeah. and yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, when I think about times when I've been uncomfortable, uh, it's always been, um, because I've done something wrong. Right. When I was a shorty, you know, I might've eaten a cookie when my mama told me not to, you know, I might've, uh, you know, done something right. That, that, that made me uncomfortable because somebody was going to find out, but, you know, thank, you know, God above, man, I was born black, man. So I'm comfortable with who I am. Right. And so like, that's definitely not changing. There's nothing else that I'd rather be, uh, you know, being black is a blessing. Uh, not to say that it doesn't come without its challenges. Right. right. Um, uh, but by the grace of God, like this, I mean, he made me black. He made me in his skin. He gave me this road to, to, to walk. And so I'm comfortable with that. Um, you know, and like we got so many examples of just like beautiful black people doing beautiful black things. Like I'm, I love that, man. I'm comfortable with that, you know, and I want to see more of it. Uh, you know, and I'm just going to be honest, like, shit, we, I mean, we're better at basketball. We're better at football. We're better <laughs> at golf. We're better at baseball. We're better at tennis. We're better at boxing. We're better at business. So like, if I'm keeping it 100, like I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am. What I want is for them to be comfortable with who I am. Mm. I think that's where, that's what the problem is. It's not us. It's them. Mm. I feel you yeah. on that. I think, I love that. Love that. Uh, first of all, I want everybody to know that he just said black folks are better at business. <laughs> Boom. I just want to catch that. But I think you're right. I mean, again, when you come, when it comes back to, again, control, influence, whatever, and how I feel stuck, like the reality is it's nothing I think black people can do to solve the problem, right? It's in other people's hands. Do I ever feel safe? I think as a black man, you can never feel safe in America. Now, I would say I feel safer probably than 90% of us, right? Given what I've accomplished and what people see in the spaces that I'm in. Mm -hmm. But do I ever feel safe? No, because the world has showed us you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be anybody and still get pulled yep. over and still get mishandled and still yep. get assaulted and still got yep. shot, still get shot. So I never feel comfortable, but I spend my life trying to make white people comfortable with me, yeah. right? So I've spent, you know, the bulk of my career working in black spaces, um, black companies, going into white spaces, right? And trying to teach them about black excellence and all we bring to the table. Every time I go to the airport, I'm in hoodie and sweats and all of that. And I let all the white people jump in front of me. And then when they call first class, I walk in front of all of them and go, Damn. see, like, Come on. right? So like, I tire lot. Judge a book by its cover, right? Like, treat me for the man that I am. But again, to your point, that's not a lesson I can force on people. Like, folks got to get the lesson. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yep. I like, I, one, I like how that made me feel inside. <laughs> <laughs> I started glowing I'm from the first class. inside man. out. <laughs> <laughs> man. All right, so I love the fact, one, I, I agree 
with, with everything you said. And the beautiful thing here is we can feel a way and still understand why someone feels slightly different because ultimately we're still talking about the same thing just from different perspectives. But I want to take it a, a step further, right? Knowing how we feel about being black in America, but at the same time being forced in one sense of the word to constantly see and consume people who look just like us being mistreated, being murdered, and then on top of that, to not have justice served. So with all that is happening, with everything that's happening right now, are your views on your personal mortality different? And Dan, I want to start with you. Gosh, my views on my personal mortality. Um, you know, maybe I shouldn't drive because if I drive, you know, I could get pulled over and I don't want to get pulled over. So maybe I will take an Uber or a Lyft. Like I do feel like I have started to truly modify my behavior so that I remain safe. And now I, I think that whether it's conscious or unconscious, I think that I'm going to continue to do that Yeah. Um, because I don't I don't want to die. Yeah. And and so I mean I think that's that's really what you know is the, is is at the core of that and what's really sad is that we as black men specifically you know we have to take all, go through this mental kind of mental anguish and mental mind games to really you know, like ask ourselves is it safe for me to do things that are basic and 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 honestly things that they don't have to think about yeah you know, yeah. white people don't have to think about that, but Absolutely. we do. It's funny, you, you you talk about the things that we do strategically to stay alive. Every single time I get in my car now, I take my wallet from my back pocket and I put it on the door. And that's mm-hmm. so that in, do, case, the same thing. in case I do get pulled over, I don't have to reach behind my back for any reason. If he needs my wallet, yep. we'll open the door so yep. he can see where it is. I want to be safe. And I have now begun to live my life in a way that I'm always thinking about how do I maximize my chances of coming home today alive? I, I feel like I'm at war and I don't even own a gun, right? Every time I leave, Agreed. I'm truly concerned about what could happen. I'm constantly watching for police. I'm constantly watching for the random person who looks like he could be a danger to me. And let's be, let's be very fair, very fair. Michael Moore talked about the fact that the most dangerous man on the street is not the brother coming at you, but the white man in the suit who really has control of your ability to earn a living, right? That's who can fire you. That's who can lay you off, right? Holistically speaking. So with, with that, Aaron, man, where, where are you at with your mortality, man? How does this stuff make you really check yourself and think about your life and your ability to survive? Yeah, I mean, I think Dottavio said it earlier, man. Like, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you know, you can be a famous athlete, and, and you can still catch a bullet from a racist cop or you know a community cop or whoever, right? And so, you know, when I'm walking down the street, they don't see my bachelor's degree from one of the the, the top uh, undergrad, uh, you know, business schools. Um, they don't see my MBA from one of the top, uh, you know, business schools in the country. Um, you know, they don't see my resume that contains some of the best companies in the world, all Fortune 50. Um, they see uh, a black kid that looks like he's probably, you know, is from the south side of Chicago, because I am. <laughs> uh, and 
And, you know, I don't hide that. You know, I think one of the things I talk, I joke with my wife a lot, like I got a lot of education, but I don't think I ever got that, like, you know, that finishing, you know what I mean? Because like that South side comes out, bro. That South you ain't side. got that polish. You missing that polish? I'm missing it, bro. I'm missing it, man. I never got it, you know what I mean? And so, you know, I used to walk through Walmart with a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a limp, man, because that's what the pimps in the hood did, man. So, you know, that's what, that's what it is. But, and but, it was you a know, smooth so like, limp, too, so it was good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, but they don't, they don't, they don't see, they, they see, they, they only see that. And it only takes a split second, right? A split second for uh, my life to end and the story to change. Um, and what's sad is that I've actually had to think beyond my own death. And think about what will they say about me? Like, I actually have thought about, like, you know, and, and like being careful on social media. Like, I don't even post anything anymore, but making sure that there's nothing uh, about, uh, on, you know, with, with me, like with the do rag on, like, nothing that, that Fox News can post and be like, oh, this is the person that they killed, yeah. you know, so that like it can, it can, you know, um, pacify white Americans. Like, oh, yeah, if I saw this person coming at me, then, you know, that would that would scare me too. So I get it. I get it. Self defense. You know, no man. You know, so like it's it's sad when you have to think beyond your own death to be like, man, what is Fox News going to be able to say about me? So you know, yes, I've I've definitely thought about my own mortality. Like I live in a neighborhood uh, that's less than zero point like point zero five percent black. Like it's just basically just me my wife and like one other couple somewhere down the street um uh that you know that 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 live actually it's uh boris kojo and, and nicole Ari parker mm-hmm. uh so you know like it's us it's us and them <laughs> you know what i mean and so <laughs> that sounds like you're in a good neighborhood brother <laughs> uh, it's, it's a pretty decent woman i like it you know um, i can comp- i'm here to confirm it it is <laughs> so, i've been so, there you know, like I, 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 I love it, but that doesn't stop a bullet. You know what I mean? Yeah. From, 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 from piercing my skin, from, from, from sending my wife into mourning, and you know, my, my, my child. Hopefully, that'll be born in December if all goes well. You know, from, from not having a dad. You know, so I, I'm thinking, and I don't want. You know, the thing is, you know, going back to Ronell because I've met his kids, and they are like beautiful. And like, what do you say? Like I, I like, what do you say to a kid who doesn't have Superman anymore? Yeah. You know, in, in their life. So, you know, I, I, I don't want, I don't want my kid to one day turn on the TV and, and accidentally turn to Fox and, and and see a picture of me with a, you know, with a do rag on or whatever. Uh, not that that should even matter, but like, you know, I don't want them to 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 be like, oh yeah, you know, that was your dad. He deserved it. You know, like you don't nah, want to give them nah, any ammunition to change who you None really are for the sake of the it, narrative. You, exactly. You you don't exactly. you don't right, but you um you don't want uh that to happen. But at the same time, you don't want to diminish yourself. You don't want to diminish right. your child's confidence. That's right. You don't want to diminish yeah. your child. Yeah. You're right. You know, ability to be bold and be brave when they're in a boardroom or in the courtroom or on the court or exactly wherever they right. are to feel like they can't be themselves, that they can't act or be, you know, make decisions or do the same things and move with the same free freedom or move in the same movement, right, that their peers do. 
Yeah. You said something earlier that I wanted to jump in on and I forgot it. So I'm going to jump in on this point about like being able to be our freest selves. Um, So as it comes to my mortality, my truth is I don't think about it constantly. Um, I think it goes back to what you're saying in the beginning about having modified my spaces. Um, And so I work at a black company. Um, I make enough money. I don't, I live in New York. I never drive. I'm always in Ubers. Um, I think if I was driving, it would make me feel a lot differently, actually. Um, I'm actually probably relatively afraid of what it means. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. It means to be a black man driving all of the time. That seems to be a consistent place that trouble happens. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyways, like I'm able to modify my spaces. I go to the same restaurants where they know my name, right? All of these things. Um, but I've been in this place for maybe the last two or three years where I've been fully focused on being my freest self, um, as free as I can possibly be. And I realized, I did a, I tweeted the other day, um, having money is an unfair advantage. Like I was broke, I was poor, I was homeless, I was all of that. So I've earned everything I have. And now that I got a little money, I'm like, this stuff ain't fair. Like the stuff <laughs> that it does for you and buys for you and allows you to do. And so the connection back to, to Dan's point is, as I am being my freest self in this position, I've actually had to become conscious about who's watching me because then people who maybe don't have the same title or who don't have the same level of access or maybe who don't have the same funds to free themselves if something happens are modeling my behavior and the freedom. And it can be very dangerous, right? The life that I'm living, right? I'm walking into every company and corporate space and sneakers and a t-shirt and jeans. I'm, uh, you know, in every Uber and like, like I said, in every airport and hoodies, et cetera, I watch people model it and they don't get the same opportunity that I do. And so I've realized that um, my freedom and being my freest self can actually be a detriment for other people who are trying to follow. And I'm quite conflicted um, about what that means. I want to be free and I want to demonstrate what it means to be a free black man, but not at the expense of other people who might try to model that same behavior, but don't yet have the permission, unfortunately, to be that free, if that makes any sense. And it does. It does. And it it takes it takes me to a place where it's like you have you've built yourself in your career to a point where in corporate America's mind, you've earned the ability to be much more authentic. But at the same time, exactly. we, we, we all as leaders strive to be an example for those that are beside us, behind us, beneath us, if you will, at times. But we have to be so careful with the example we set because what you just said demonstrates that point that you've achieved something. And if they attempt to emulate what you now are, they can shortchange themselves before they ever have an opportunity to become the next Otavio. That's right. I'm working at Black companies, helping Black creatives and Black genius monetize the culture that we create. So I'm walking in the white spaces, reflecting the culture that they expect to see walk in the door. That's very different if you go on to work every day at Unilever or Walmart or J&J, right? Like it's a different world. And so if you don't have the context, you don't understand the, the freedom, the space that allows me to walk in the freedom that I'm walking in. Yeah, yeah. Ronell, brother, what are you thinking about mortality? Where are you at? 
I've always penciled in five things that are key for me. You know, first for me, my spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health, that for my family, my religious beliefs, my community, and then work. And I prioritize those things in that order because everything that becomes before work, those first four things are where I think I, I'm focused on. But when I'm at work, I prioritize that and it gives me an opportunity to support, you know, the other four areas. And I bring that up is because for me, I, I've realized if I want to be in a space where I can feel like I can give and make this world a better place, I have to see my mortality being more than what they're exposing to me. I can't let what they're showcasing around me and what they're doing to my brothers across America be what I think I'm going to become. Because mm. then they win. Mm. They win that mental game in my mind. And they take away my hope. And I can't let that happen. Mm. And that's, mm. that's important that's to me. That's critical for my, for my foundation. So I have to believe yeah. like, hey, I have value. I know what I can do. I know what I can bring to the table. And I have to focus on those areas or else I feel like, hey, I've lost. Mm. I'm, a, yeah. I'm a dead man walking. And that was honestly yeah, crazy, I, brother. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like I, I live that similar mm-hmm. life. So I always say people care about believing the right story. And I don't care about believing the right story. I care about believing the story that allows me to be right. Right. I'd like to, that allows yeah. me to wake up every day and be productive and function and give to my family and give to the company that I work at. And so it doesn't matter whether the story is true or not in everybody else's mind. It just has to be true so that I can be effective and productive. And so it's important that I write a story and believe a story that doesn't have me living in fear 24 seven, because that would lead me to a place where I'm not able to accomplish the stuff that I feel like I'm put on this earth to accomplish. One hundred percent, Datavia. One hundred percent. And I love that you. Yeah, you I love. I love that. some stuff. Go ahead, Dan. I, I was gonna say I'm getting this knowledge right now. <laughs> I think you know what what Renell said, and even the build that Datavio had. It is so important that we we really you know understand the story that we tell ourselves selves every day, and that we really make sure that we own that story, and that that story mm-hmm. serves us well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mm-hmm. I've really spent the time, you know, over the past couple of years, making sure that I really, you know, have worked on my thoughts and how I see myself, how, you know, how I think about myself. And I just think that what I'm questioning and grappling with and struggling with right now is how this will play into all of that, you know, because the last thing you want is, um, is to lose the mental game, Brunel, as, as you said. But I mean, at the same time, you know, I think it's okay for people to feel how they feel right now. And so I think there will be a lot of healing, a lot of therapy and and the need for therapeutic sort of um, reconciliation here for us as we move forward, because it is just, it's not easy. And so anyway, I love, I love what you guys. Yeah. So we've talked, go ahead, brother. I just want to build on that a little bit too. And I know we haven't gotten to, you know, others quotes yet, but I, I feel like I should drop in mine right now because I, I have like it might be appropriate. You know, one of, I, I was going through a lot of different ones that I could think of, but there's a motto actually, and it's, it's not really a quote, but it's a motto that I feel like I want to live by and I have been trying to live by. And it's actually, and Aaron, you might love this. It's the North Carolina state, it's the North Carolina state motto, which is not love NC it. state, you know, but the state, it's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, but it's to be rather than to seem. Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, I've always told myself, I want to be who God wants me to be. I want to be who I know I can be. 
And I can't let anybody else push me to seem like something. And when I meet, what I mean by that, I can't push anybody to help me put me in a space where it's like, you are this. You are what we see, we hope that we see on TV or what we project on TV. You are, you know, what we tell people you are on the newspaper. Um, we are what we hear in, you know, the music that we hear as well. It's like, no, I am who I am and that's okay. And I'm going to be this way. I'm going to be respectful, but I'm going to be who I'm going to be because I know that's who I am. I love that too, man. So we've talked a lot about how we feel and the emotions that we're dealing with. And what I'm hearing, the sentiment that I hear and see coming back from Black America. And when you sit in the chair that I sit in right now, I get a lot of it. I get a ton of emails, ton of direct messages, social posts. I hear how Black America feels. And it it almost goes back to the perceived positions of Dr. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, right? And we know that both of their positions began to evolve much closer to each other yep. than most people really understand or most narratives will allow mm-hmm. to preach because that would be too much unity, right? But what I'm hearing come back from Black America, and I believe this myself, is that the only way that we will see change, the only way that we can create change inside of the people who oppress us, inside of the people who hold us back, and honestly have been lynching and murdering us, is by three ways, right? We begin to impact their life. We begin to impact their freedom. Or we begin to impact their finances. And we spend a lot of time as a collective community, talking about how do we do those things. We boycott here to impact finances. We march and protest to impact freedoms. In this case, it led to the arrest, albeit extremely late, right? And personally, I am anti-violence for the most part, right? I am not, um, I am not about you punch me in the face, I want to go beat you completely down. But I would be lying if I did not say that with the continued abuse that we see, the continued consumption of people who look just like us being mistreated, if I weren't honest and say someplace inside of me, I do begin to feel that desire to create that same pain on the other side of the fence. So the question I want to ask you all is, where are you at personally with retaliation, and what does revolution look like? And I want to start with you, Aaron. Oh, man. So I'm nonviolent. I'm nonviolent, right? Like, you know, I don't own a gun, um, although I will be honest and say that, um, and I'm anti-gun because I've seen what it's done to um, friends, friends of mine. on the south side of Chicago. In fact, um, my very best friend in the world since I was in diapers, literally in diapers, um, was uh, shot and killed, shot in the head um, last year. Sorry to hear um, that, Sorry about that, brother. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Um, so, like, you know, I, I'm, I've been anti-gun my entire life, but, you know, this is the first time uh, in my life where I've, like, thought about, like, man, yeah. I got a wife to protect. Um, you know, a pregnant wife to protect and, you know, hopefully a, a child on the way. Uh, 
you know, if something goes down, like, you know, I can't throw like, you know, my, uh, you know, Cuisinart, like, Butter knives at them, you know what I mean? Like I got some really nice, <laughs> really nice. Here's some season sauce. You know what I mean? Brand specific here. Brand specific. Hey, hey, I can't throw my, you know, my Easy Curry cookware at them, but you know, like it's, it's um, it could be, you know. So uh, I've, I've been thinking about that, but you know, in terms of retaliation, I don't like. Violence for violence, I don't think it necessarily is going to do anything. Like, it releases some short-term frustration and anger, sure, right? But I don't think that that's the answer, right? Like, we that's not a long-term solution. Um, but I love what you laid out, so I want to go to that because I think that that's part of what I would say is my retaliation plan, and I've been talking about it for a while. You know, for Black people to think that we're going to get reparations, even though we are deserve those things, like, because if you get, like, you know, what, 400 years of, of free labor, like, I mean, like, that's, anybody can get rich off of that, right? If you don't have to, like, labor is the biggest line item, you know what I mean, right? On any, anybody's P&L, right? If you don't have to pay for that, like, you're good. So, right. you know, like, like we, we are owed something from that. But, like, to, for in our lifetime, it's likely not going to happen. But you said, you know, number one, impact their life. Two, impact their freedom. Three, impact their finances. Um, I would argue that if you did three, it impacts uh, one and two. Yeah. Right. And so um, how do you do that? Right. So how do you impact your finances? Imagine. Imagine if um, Kobe, Michael, uh, Braun, you know, like Zion. Imagine, imagine if Zion didn't go to Duke and he went to North Carolina Central. Imagine if Kobe went to Florida. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, like, imagine if we were to, like, put those dollars. Imagine if uh, and I'm going to, because I went to Florida a and so I can't imagine any other HBCU winning a national championship. But like, imagine if Florida a and <laughs> imagine if Florida a and had the, the basketball history that UNC bring, has. Imagine if, because, if, if, you know, basketball is UNC's chief revenue driver, right? And so imagine, and that's what, how they get their resources to fund all of their other research and programs and attract the best professors, blah, 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 blah. Imagine if we did that uh, at these HBCUs, right? Imagine if we, you know, Kobe, Braun, imagine if we built the Fab Five, the top five recruits every year, who are, by the way, always black, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the top, probably the top 100, you know, right. are, are us, you know what I mean? And so imagine if they went to the, the, the HBCUs. Imagine now if the final... If the Sweet 16 was all HBCUs, wow, wow, you know, imagine if if uh, who is it, uh, ABC, uh, who who hosts the the, the uh, March Madness? Imagine if those revenue dollars were flowing to HBCUs now, yeah. right? Imagine if HBCUs were now to have the the you know funding to to um to have the best medical uh, schools, uh, funding to have the best. Uh, we already have some of the greatest business schools, but like you know, the best CIS programs, the best, you know, whatever programs, right? 
imagine if we were the highly sought after universities um, and uh, imagine a product now that comes out of that, right? Like, you know, you don't have people saying, oh, I went to Hobbes. Yeah, people say, oh, I went to FAMU. And I do that anyway, by the way. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I went to FAMU. You know, by the way, I went to FAMU. You know, so, you know, but imagine imagine if you had that, you know, at a more global scale. Imagine if you had white people trying to kick in the door of FAMU, trying to get in to be students, because this is where all the best professors are. This is where, all the, you know, all the, the people who are like CEOs of, of top companies are. Like, this is where you have to go. Um, you know, so imagine imagine if we did that, right? that sort of empowers us more right so now now uh all of a sudden you know the the chiefs and all these uh, organizations look like me we start to change the narrative you know we, we start to say oh wow my boss is black maybe this guy walking down the street that looks like he's from the south side of chicago maybe he's not so bad yeah. you know like maybe he's not actually trying to kill me because i know 50 people who went to the same school as this kid or looked just like this kid. Uh, and they're all in positions way above me. So I think that, you know, retaliation is not going to come from violence because they got guns too. Uh, retaliation is is going to come from like impacting the thing that's going to impact the other things in their life. Mm. And, the, and that's their finances. Yeah. I love that. Latavio, yeah. man, I'd love to hear what you think. And then Ronell and Dan, I'm going to come to you on the next question because of time, but Latavio, please brother, break down, your thoughts on retaliation and revolution? Yeah, so first let me just say I'm a man of God and I start there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but today I'm pissed. So ask me in a week of prayer and like my answer might change. <laughs> I'm sure it'll change and I'll be operating from a position of love and grace. I don't know if y'all saw that picture of um, whatever that black senator is in Michigan that had the three black people with rifles yes, escorting her yes. into whatever the, yes, like, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. a part of me that was like, it's about time. I'm with now, you. I'm also fearful of what that means, like, especially in this time of COVID and hurricanes and whatever deadly hornets over here, like, the world feels crazy. Um, but, like, I was looking at that going, yes, that's exactly what needs to happen now. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be a winning strategy, right? I don't know if you guys saw, who was it, um, Shannon Brown, uh, who just got arrested, the yeah. uh, basketball player, right, yeah, yeah. who just got arrested for firing his rifle at two people, people came in, in his, his house. house, right? So so you arrested this man for shooting people in his house, but it took y'all weeks, a month, months to arrest two white dudes who chased somebody down and hunted them. So 74 I know days. that if we go down that, 74 days, right? So I know if we go down that path, we're still going to lose, but yeah. there's a part of me that's like, you know what? Let's just see what happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> but realistically, like, there's only, look, there's only one, and I don't even know that this works, but there's only one solution that I potentially have, and we're not in position to do that right now. But the people who I think have done this, the disenfranchised, marginalized group who didn't ex hasn't experienced what we experienced in terms of like murder. Well, they have. That's not fair to say. Um, but I think the queer community. Yeah. So when I look at um, their strategy, at least in my book, um, there's a lot of people in Hollywood um, who are members of that community, and they are green lighting projects and making sure that we are inserting people who are lesbian, gay, or you know whatever from the LGBTQ community into yeah. every single series, every single movie. And what that starts to do is normalize yes. queerness, right? 
Um, and so that strategy, I think, has been a, a working strategy. Trust me, I, I believe they've got much more work to go and they may only be like half as far as, you know, they need to be. But the idea of like, if you guys started from zero through the media and the constant um, pictures that are put into our faces, you normalize it. And so, you know, I see blackness as something that people fear it needs to be normalized. And so the only strategy that I see that's worked for a marginalized group is that. Um, but to do that, you need more black people in media, not at black media, but at media with scale, right. with green light power, who can insert the right types of black characters into everything so that everyone just gets used to it. You have to, what was on higher line? You have to force people to unlearn mm. their behaviors. Um, and that's the, that's a way to do it at scale. So anyways, today I'm ready for war. Um, I continue <laughs> to look for new solutions. The only people who I think um, we might be able to borrow from a solution right now is the LGBTQ community um, because I think they're executing it well. Still far to go, but I think the execution is working. I completely agree with that. Completely agree. The last question I want to ask, and I, and I truly want everyone's answer on this, um, and be brief on this one. I want it to be very concise and very specific mm -hmm. and very powerful, honestly. Um, I want to ask you, if you had a direct line of communication directly to the ear of every single white person in America, every one of them, mm -hmm. The, the, the ones who are true allies, the ones who despise you, the ones who are, are closet racist but sit right next to you at work. You could speak directly to every single one. They had to hear every word you had to say. What would you say to them? Ranel, I want to start with you. Ranel, I'm just going to start and say it's a hard question to give you time to think. That's a, that's a I know. question. I'm buying you time right now, brother. <laughs> I'm not jumping I'm in. Thinking. I'm not getting your back. Yeah, it's a hard question. That's a, that's and, a and, tough and real one. talk. Yeah. I'm not taking a bullet for you, but I'll tell you what. Right, I'm not taking that bullet. <laughs> I'll be last. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys coming to my coming to help. I appreciate it. If I were to say, you know, sitting talking to those folks, here's off the top of my head and what I've been feeling for a while actually is I you know, the comments that were made previously. I'm not a violent person. You know, I feel like I have a right to live. And not only a right to live, but my freedom should be based upon my right to live. Mm -hmm. And that freedom that I'm expressing and that I'm demanding and that I am required to be given is that of all the black community and not just all the black community, but all those who are underrepresented, who feel oppressed in any way. You know, and that freedom, it should be given, should be given freely. And I want it. And I don't just want it, but I expect it. Mm -hmm. And for me, the other part that I think is crucial is that. My color does not define me. My, my color is part of who I am. And when I say it doesn't define me, is that you can't look at my color and think of me in context of what you want to think of from a historical standpoint or whatever story that has been created in your mind over the last several decades and hundreds of years that has been created that has put me in a position of inferiority in your mind. Because in my mind, I'm not inferior. Mm. My value mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. of heaven sent, mm -hmm. right? It's God given. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And if I think to my core, if I think about what 
I want to see as I want to see a level of respect. I want to see a level of respect and not just given just because I'm asking for it, but for you to look at me and look at me as a person who you desire to respect because I do belong. And not that I belong in your world, but I do belong in this world. Mm. And I have a right to be here and to belong. Ronell, I know you said, you know, you had to think through that, but brother, you sure somebody didn't leak the question to you? Like, kind of killed that, bro. You, you kind of did that. That little yeah, block at the top of your quote of the night. <laughs> that was a quote, wasn't it? <laughs> he got my second favorite quote. Once my first one was, we're better at business. My second one is, my value is heaven sense. Dude, I feel you. <laughs> that, was, that was real. My value is heaven sense. Aaron, brothers, on you. Yeah, man. Actually, you know what? This backs into um, my quote, right? So, like, you know, if I had the ear of, of, of all the white people in America, like, what would I say to them? Um, my quote actually comes from, uh, you know, Che Guevara. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you tremble with the indignation at every injustice, then you are a comrade of mine. If mm-hmm. you tremble at the indignation of every injustice, then you are a comrade of mine. You know, like, you know, at this moment, I would say, like, I don't want your sympathy. I want your voice, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want your thoughts and prayers. I want your action, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I, because the, here's the thing. Um, here's, like, you know, when, 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 a, when a white man comes up to me and says, oh, you know, I'm sorry this happened, you know, I'm like, okay, thank you. But are you one of the, you know, 62% of you guys who voted for Donald Trump? You know, because 62% of white men voted for Donald Trump, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think the number was like 50 something percent of, of, of white women voted for Donald Trump. And so like, you know, I'm like, your words at this point mean very little to me. You know, I, I want to see you take action. And the action I want you to take is go to the polls and vote for something different. Vote for somebody who's not uh, actually encouraging this. You know, like, he, it's not even that he's, like, not saying it. Like, this dude is actually saying these are very fine people. Yeah. You know, like, like, this, they are not very fine people. Like, they are your supporters, <laughs> but you should condemn them. Yeah. And then at least you won't have my vote, but you'll have my respect at, at that point. Well. You won't have my respect because you've done a lot of other shit that, you know, but <laughs> you'll be closer that, to it. That's, right. Right. Like you'll get, you'll get a half a percent more, but like, that's what I want you to, that's what I want you to say, man. Like, like I, I want, I, I, I'm tired. I'm tired, man. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But I'm tired. Sorry. What I would say to you, right, people, bro. man, is yeah, no apologies is, necessary. Keep going. Is, is don't 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 hit me with your oh the thoughts and prayers, and I'm with you, and I'm an ally. In my in my text messages, in my DMs, take that to the voting booth, man. That's what I want to tell. I, that's what I want you to tell me that you're with me I'm in with the voting. That. Booth. I'm with that, Dan, I, I think you're back, right? 
I'm back. I'm back. Oh, I man, love. Man. <laughs> did, did you <laughs> hear the you. question? Dan was pouring a drink. I I was three pages in, like Aaron said. Um, <laughs> All right, brother. Let, let me know what you what you would say on your direct line to the ear of every white person. You know what? First of all, I, I love the responses. Is I've loved and enjoyed this entire conversation that we've had here. You know, I'm I'm not going to claim to say something as you know deep and prolific as as Rennell and Aaron and Natavio, but I, what I will say is that uh, I will want to let them know to stop killing us, to let us live. You know, and you know, similar to what Aaron was saying. You know, they need to understand that their silence is deafening. The yes. fact that they will mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. and do mm-hmm. not post about when we get killed, but then they'll post about when a white person is killed, or they post about kittens and dogs, or their mm-hmm. babies, and ignore my pain, I am tired of it. I no longer will accept it. Um, I am ready to definitely, you know, in terms of the you know, sphere of influence that I have and those who are, you know, non-black and, and my sphere, I'm going to be letting them know. I'm putting them on, on notice. You can no longer remain within sort of, you know, you know, connected, you know, directly connected to me without getting involved, without acknowledging my pain and my people's pain anymore. But it would be, it would be to stop killing us, to stop being silent and to do something about this problem and correct it. <clears throat> Help be the change that you know that you can, you know, impact because they, they, you know, as a white person, you can, you can sort of, you know, have these discussions in rooms that I will never be involved or invited to, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, any of us on this call, you know, won't be invited to. And so it's kind of like, you know, start talking to your family members, basically mm-hmm. just stop being racist and, and to do <laughs> something about it, Amen. you know, Sounds because, simple, right? Simple. I mean, Amen. I'm simplifying it, but it's like, yeah. stop killing me. Tell your family members to stop being racist. Man, bro- brother, what, what would you say in your direct line to white America? Yeah, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to do them real fast. Um, <laughs> one, at some point in time, somebody's going to have to answer this question for me, which is how do you raise the price on free breakfast? Now, we don't have to deal with that now, but like, I'm super confused about that. And that's my first time hearing. Um, two, two, embedded in Aaron's comment is that the response to a question, which is, well, what, what would we say to black folks? And my quick answer there is Benjamin Franklin has this quote that says, We must indeed all hang together, or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. Mm. And I think for black people, it's Ooh. like literally, we will all hang. Man separately, right? Um, and so I think that's a lot of what, you know, captures a lot of what Aaron was saying that I fully believe in. And then in terms of what I would say to white folks, whether they're racist or allies and whoever they are, um, I started with like, treat me like um, when you meet me, um, treat me the way you would meet you, you would treat your sister or your brother. That's probably, I don't need you to love me. And it's probably too much to ask for a racist to love me. But my, my next is just treat me like you treat your neighbor. Like you're not shooting your neighbor. You're not assuming your neighbor is up to no good. You're not chasing your neighbor down the street with guns to see what they're doing, right? Just, just start from a position of good intentions. Start with a position of like, I might be angry. I might be mad. I might even be messing up, but just start from a position that like, Death is not the only way that you have to take me. Um, I'm watching 
white folks mm. specifically stormed the buildings in Michigan, like state government buildings with guns Man. on their back, yelling and screaming at police officers. Whatever that is, wow. I'm catching it as like, treat me like your neighbor. Whatever that is, it allows you to look at all those white people with guns and not yep. shoot and kill them. My I just God. want that same treatment. I'm not asking My for anything God. different. Amen. I'm not asking for anything special. I just want whatever that is in your mind and in your heart when they are spitting on you with their COVID breath, which could actually kill you and hey. you still don't move. I want whatever that is. Give me that. Yep. Give me that. Two of them. I bring that. Right. But look, brothers, I appreciate every moment and every word that you spent and delivered here. I know our listening audience is going to appreciate it. I want to close this out. Um, I asked several women to give me these questions, right? There are a few of them I sprinkled in myself, but the majority of these questions came from black women who truly do care about us as black men. I asked this question of a new friend of mine, Martina Abrahams, from the podcast You Had Me at Black. And she said she didn't have a question, but she did have some positive affirmation that she wanted to share. So I'm going to read what she wrote. It's very short to the black men on this line and just as important to every black man that's listening. What Martina had to say is this. You are loved. You are valued. You are needed. You are more than enough. You are human. Thank oh, you, sis. I want every brother that heard that to just take mm -hmm. a second and let that seep in because I truly do believe the majority of us don't hear those type words enough. And Lord knows the messages that are fed to us do not reinforce those thoughts. So please, brothers out there, take a second. Remember who you are. Remember what you are. Remember why you are. And when mm. you can remember that, Thanks, maybe we can move forward a little bit more. But with that, Wild Black, Amen. we Amen. love Thank you. Thank you. Peace. We out. Peace. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba. 